don't know, it's probably not often mentioned to you, but folks, on a weekly basis, the ministries that happen from right here at First Pentecostal Church are amazing. That's not counting feeding nearly 500 people on Tuesday from our uh, Hands for Healing ministry. That's not counting the teams that go in to the nursing homes under the direction of Sister Marjorie Ricardo and those that are going into the prisons. So many things that happen on a weekly basis. We are blessed to be a part of First Pentecostal Church. Amen. And we're excited about this week. Amen. Another great week as we move forward and some of the things that are on the calendar for this week and this month uh, as we turn our attention uh, to some of the activities that we're going to be hosting. Uh, next week, we'll be hosting the Bayside High School Baccalaureate. Of course, this is graduation time. A lot of those things are happening. But National Day of Prayer, we're uh, excited to, to be able to spend some time focusing on that as well. Uh, and then this weekend, amen, as we look forward to Mother's Day next Sunday, amen. I hope that you'll bring your mother or invite her to come and be in church. She's going to have a great time uh, next Sunday morning as uh, Dr. Myers and Sister Denise Johnson will be speaking next Sunday morning for Mother's Day. It'll be a great time. Amen. Make sure you're part of the banquet, too, on Friday night. You'll be blessed. John chapter 9 and verse 1. John chapter 9 and verse 1. I want to read a few verses in your hearing uh, just to establish uh, this story. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Nothing like everybody talking around you, you know. Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes open? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam, and wash. And I went, and washed, and I received sight. I would like to speak this morning, you're hearing on this subject, the cure for blindness. The cure for blindness. Would you bow your heads, and would you lift your hands, and let us ask God now for his divine help. Lord, we are so thankful to be in your house. What a privilege it is, Lord to gather in a place that stands for the declaration of your name. 
we have come together, Lord. You are the common denominator that brings us all together at this place at this moment. Your love for each of us, your mercy, your grace. And Lord, your presence that we feel today binds us together. We ask you, Lord, that you would anoint our lips to speak the word and our hearts and minds to receive it and to declare your glory and your greatness for all to hear. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask. Everybody said amen. You may be seated and thank you for standing. Of all the handicaps that can curse men and women, I would think that blindness must be one of the most difficult. Yet there is something that is infinitely worse than physical blindness. And that is spiritual blindness. It seems clear that the mission of Jesus while he was here on this earth was intertwined, if not fully expressed, in the opening of blinded eyes. Not just physically, but also spiritually. The Bible says in the text that we read that the man which was blind from his birth in a very real sense, here was a man who was sitting in the darkness of a physical night and had been from the moment he was born. This had been the only condition that he had ever known. He had never, ever seen the light of day. But I believe that this story in the Word of God has been providentially preserved in order to teach us this single fact, and that is that all of us in our spiritual nature are born into darkness. The Bible says that we are born in sin. We, you and I, every single human that has ever breathed a breath of air, we are born blind spiritually. No matter how youthful how beautiful, how intellectual, or charming you may be. You have been born spiritually blind. Have you ever found yourself scratching your head and trying to figure out why people do the things that they do? Have you ever found yourself scratching your head and wondering why people vote the way that they do? There are times when you and I look around this world and you start to feel like you're an alien, like you are from another planet. Why are people buying the things that they do? Why are people spending their money on the things they spend their money? Why do people do what they do? I had my son Luke with me the other day and I was trying to get a haircut because I was on my way to Tallahassee for this funeral and I, I was trying to figure out how I could get a haircut really quick. And my barber was unavailable because his shop was closed on Monday. And I had tried to reach him, but he just went to a recorder. But he was able, I guess, to retrieve his messages from his office by uh, his cell phone. Because he called me late in the afternoon uh, to say, do you need a haircut? And I said, yeah. And I said, I know, you know, your shop's closed on Monday. He said, well, I'm actually doing a hair salon demonstration tonight at the mall. And if you would like to come and be my subject, then 
I can give you a haircut and it won't cost you anything. And I said, so you want me to be a guinea pig for like different styles that you're going to show them? And, and uh, he said, no, I'll cut your hair the same uh, way that, you know, I would any other time, only there'll be people watching. There'll be students that are in salon school that will be watching. And I said, well, what happens if I don't show up? And he said, well, it's either you or a guy with a purple mohawk. I said, well, I don't want to do that to you. So I reluctantly agreed because I needed a haircut and didn't really have time, you know, for a lot of other options. So Luke and I uh, hurried over to the mall and uh, we went to this salon school that's there uh, near JCPenney's in the Melbourne Mall and they, they uh, checked us in and they took us to a back room where there was, um, I lacked the, the, the verbal um, awareness to be able to describe with accurate adjectives the collection of group that I was thrust into the middle of. There were young people with every sort of hair, tattoos, piercings that you could ever imagine. And uh, I just like people and so I went around and started introducing myself to everybody and shaking everybody's hands and, and everybody was sort of looking at me like I was from Mars. And <laughs> some didn't even speak, uh, just sort of nodded. Some were very friendly. and. My son Luke sort of sat in the corner in a chair and had a look of horror on his face <laughs> as he clutched his Bible quizzing verse that he was trying to memorize deep in his hand. And so we started the haircut and the barber announced to the group that I was a pastor. Now, when they heard that, it was like they had all seen a ghost. The room became deathly quiet as if the air had been sucked out of the room and we were all getting ready to witness a crime. Well, the barber and I have known each other for a long time. His father used to cut my father's hair. His daughter cut my son's hair. And so we've had three generations. We've all been around here a long time. And so we've known each other for a long time. So we were, we were just cutting up and we tried our best to make uh, an awkward situation as comfortable as possible. When the haircut, haircut was over, Luke and I, we sort of scooted out of there. And before we could get out of the building, Luke said to me, Dad, what is the matter with those people? <laughs> and I said, son, they're just people, you know. They, they think I'm sure what they're doing is cool and creative. And, but I said, you know, without the Lord, you're blind. You just, you make crazy decisions. He said, they look like they were all in pain. I said, they probably are. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, none of us were born with spiritual light. We were all born in spiritual darkness. I mean, we can try to clean ourselves up, but we are still dealing with flesh. And left on our own, the flesh will self-destruct. Why? Because there is spiritual blindness upon every single human being that is born. But here's the wonderful thing about life. The wonderful thing about life is that things change. That's why to me every day is exciting if you're breathing air, you're alive, and you're on this side of the grass. 
every day is a good day because tomorrow can be better than today. Now, this man had spent his whole life in darkness, but a wonderful thing happened on this day. It's in the first verse of chapter 9. Jesus saw a man which was blind from his birth. Now, that word saw is the one I want to focus on for just a moment because it means to perceive mentally. In other words, he did not merely give this blind man some cursory glance as he passed. He saw something tragic. Disciples only glanced at the poor man, and they remarked, you know, judgmentally, uh, that he was receiving the due reward of his sins, or at any rate, that of his parents. But Jesus saw the man much different than the disciples did. Jesus saw this man in his blindness, and he saw that it was a picture of every man, or woman, or boy, or girl, any single human being, who is born into this world. And I don't know about you, but I am glad that he saw me. One day in my spiritual darkness, in my spiritual blindness, the Lord saw me. And when he sees us, he sees our need. And it wasn't just a glance. It wasn't just some, you know, something that was perfunctory that didn't require any, any uh, thought or action. But it was actually a pause. He, he saw us and and he perceived that we had a need. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, one of the first things that has to happen to each of us to find a cure for our blindness is that we have to perceive that we have a need. You've got to perceive that you need the Lord. The man that was blind, blind Bartimaeus, he perceived that he needed the Lord. And he cried out, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Those that were in the path of Jesus that had an ailment of whatever it was or a handicap, they had to perceive that they had a need. And a lot of times when you have a physical handicap, it's easy for you or for others to see that you have a need. But sometimes those emotional handicaps that we have are not so easily to be seen until we're around somebody for a while. And then we start to say, he or she needs some help. But the thing that is most difficult to perceive is when you and I have a need spiritually. But ladies and gentlemen, every single one of us have a need of God spiritually speaking. We are handicapped. We are blind spiritually speaking until the Lord shines the light of his love on our soul and in our heart and says, I can make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. We go through life groping, trying to find our way, and we find ourselves in one situation after another. If you and I don't think that we have a need, we will not inquire about a solution. You won't position yourself so that that help will come close. We have to recognize that the moral blindness of men and women, boys and girls, anybody, is not something that we can just dismiss with an observation or a speculation or an opinion or even a disagreement. You and I and every single human on this earth needs God's help. 
I want to say that again because I think it's something that we have to remind ourselves of. It's not revelatory, I know, for most of us. But I want to say it again because I want to emphasize it. Every single human being that is alive on this planet needs help. They need God's help. And I feel like saying this, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, you need him today, and you're going to need him tomorrow, and you're going to need him the next day. It doesn't matter if you've had the Holy Ghost 40 years, every day I need him. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. That's the spiritual blindness that we're talking about. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You never thought you'd be in a, in a church on Sunday morning, but here you are. You never thought you'd be coming to prayer meetings. You used to think all them Christians were a bunch of fanatics. Especially them Pentecostals. Especially them holiness apostolics. Especially those holy rollers. <laughs> the old days they used to call us holy rollers. When I went to law school, my friends in law school found out that I was a Pentecostal minister. And they said, do you guys bite heads off of chickens? And do y'all handle snakes? And I'm like, where do you people get this stuff from? And I didn't realize. Spiritually blind. You don't know what to expect. Somebody invited you to church. Do you remember the first time you came? I remember when I was a teenager going to O'Galley High School. I invited a friend of mine. His name was Robert Goldsmith to come to church. His father owned Harbor City Oil. You've probably seen the trucks running around. Robert was a good friend of mine. He was a good guy. So I said, Robert, you need to come to church with me. We were just a much smaller church over there on the east end of Palm Bay Road and and so Robert finally came to church with me. I think it was on a Sunday night. And so when Robert came to church, I was, you know, you know how it is when you bring a visitor, you know, you're sort of trying to narrate the service for him. And I would say, now this is going on, that's going on. And underneath it all, I was praying that everybody would behave and it would be a, a respectable service. But God knows whenever you need a pride adjustment. Somewhere in the middle of that service, one of our uh, elder, elderly ladies jumped up in the middle aisle and said, Lord, send the ghost. <laughs> and, when, <laughs> and when she did, my buddy shot straight out the back door. <laughs> and I said, I ran after him. I said, Robert, where are you going? He goes, I was already uncomfortable. But now they're conjuring up spirits and ghosts. I said, that's the Holy Ghost. He goes, I don't care what kind of ghost it is. <laughs> I mean, until you've known God for yourself, it all seems crazy. Because of this spiritual blindness that we're dealing with. A gentleman once tried to describe the color scarlet to a blind man. And when he had done so, the blind man asked, is scarlet like the blast of a trumpet the guy was just like i'm trying to describe a color he's thinking i'm describing a sound but to the blind man 
Scarlet was, was an enigma. He couldn't discern it. It was, he was, you know, optically incapable because he didn't have natural eyesight. So it is with spiritual things. Because men are blind to the things of the Spirit, they merely dismiss the pleasures and the treasures of the Christian life as foolishness, not realizing what they are missing. In this story that we're talking about, when his eyes were opened, his neighbors asked, is not this he that sat and begged? I mean, if you look at an individual that has five senses, this individual, a fifth of the world's pleasures and treasures were dead to him. Until he said in verse 25, now I see. The blind man cried out, now I see. Now, folks, that happened after he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, folks, you won't get it through some theological debate. You will not receive your cure for blindness through some sort of, a, of, a, of an argument with a friend. I'm going to tell you what. It only comes when Jesus Christ passes your way. Hallelujah. And you know him for yourself. You don't have to take your grandparents or your parents' word for it or even this preacher's word for it. You can know it for yourself because the Lord will touch every single individual where you are today and open your eyes. And ladies and gentlemen, when it happens, the simple explanation is that it is a miracle. And miracles, by their very nature, cannot be explained. You just have to say it was a miracle. This was something that the religious bigots were not able to accept that saw this man that was blind. And then they wanted to inquire almost as if he had done something illegally to receive his healing, to receive his sight. And all that the man could do was to describe what had happened. That's all he could do. And then he's going to leave the how up to Christ. Well, how did he do it? Here's all I know. Once I was blind, but now I see. Now, whatever you got to do to figure it out, if you got to put it in a flow chart, if you got to put some scientific explanation, but this one thing I know, I used to not see, and now I do see. People may ask you, why are you a Christian now? Because once I was blind, but now I see. Once I used to think it was all in making money. Once I used to think it was all in doing drugs. Once I used to think it was all in smoking. Once I thought it was all in drinking. Once I thought it was in more. Once I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought it'd be cool if I do this and do that and do that. But you know what? I realized that all of it means nothing. But when I fell in love with the Lord, I can't get enough of him. I don't care if they had church every night. I'd be there. I can't get enough of God. I spend every waking moment thinking about the goodness of God. I spend every moment that I have trying to tell somebody about the Lord. Why? Because once I was blind, I thought I was doing right. I thought I was doing what was cool. But when I found the Lord, a whole new world opened up for me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. He said, I don't know. How are you guys want to figure it all out? You want to put an explanation on it, but here's the thing that I know. I just know that Number one, it was a divine operation. 
Because he answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how simple and yet how profound. Whatever interpretations may be given of this act of the masters, one thing is quite clear. The whole operation was not only real in itself, it was symbolic of an even deeper reality. Have you ever wondered, have you ever read this story and wondered why the Lord would mix his spit with dust? I mean, it's not even sanitary. And then adding insult to injury, make a mud ball and smash it in the guy's eye. It's a wonder Jesus wasn't arrested right there, right then. I remember I was down in the Indian River a couple years ago with, with my boys there in Sebastian Inlet. We were playing that little pool area where the water is shallow and calm on the side. And all these manatees came in. And these manatees came in, and they just came right in there with us while we were all swimming. And boy, we just started patting and all that. And people came around, and they said, you could be arrested. I said, for doing what? For petting the manatee. I said, for petting the manatee? They said, you can't even touch the manatee. I said, but we were just petting and saying, nice boy, nice girl. We were being friendly and sociable. They said, you can't even touch a manatee. I'm thinking, boy, if that crowd had been around Jesus. One time I was walking down here on the beach and uh, we had some, I think it was some of the college and career group at night and we were we had flashlights and we were looking for turtles. You know, the lay their eggs up in the big sea turtles that come up. You got to find a dark spot and all that. And we go down by the water and you can see where the tracks are. And once you find where the tracks are, because I mean, they've been doing this since I was a kid. Of course, there's not as many now, but in the old days when they were left buildings and lights down there, you sea turtles would be everywhere. But you find the tracks and then you turn your light off because the light can scare them away and they won't lay their eggs. But once they start laying their eggs, they won't stop until they're done. And so you find the tracks down by the, the, the water and you go up then you find where the nest is, and she's either there or she's not there. Or she started laying her eggs, or she's still digging the hole. And if everybody stays real quiet and keeps all the lights out, she'll dig the hole and start laying her eggs. And, and then you, you can watch, and, you know, it's like ping-pong balls dropping, and they fill up this cylinder. It's a perfectly round cylinder. It's an amazing thing. So we were down along the water line. We were looking for tracks, you know, and, and uh, these three women came down. My goodness, they were like right out of the Gestapo. They came down there and they had, they were like, they were the turtle patrol. They were the turtle patrol. They came walking down there and boy, they surrounded us. They thought, boy, they, what are you kids doing? We were like, well, we're looking for tracks and we're going to, you can be arrested for even watching a turtle lay eggs. I'm like, for watching a turtle lay eggs? People are crazy in this world. They'll protect a turtle and a manatee and a spotted owl and kill a baby. 
They got a new video out now. I don't know how people that, 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 that are for abortion. Now, I know there's people who've made mistakes in their past or have made bad decisions. And certainly, nothing we would do as a church would be to try to condemn those people. But if you, the Bible says to him that knoweth to do right and doeth it not as to sin. Once you understand that life begins at conception, they keep finding more and more science. They have now, have you guys seen this? Someone just sent it to me this week. They have now pictures of when the sperm hits the egg and the literally the explosion that takes place. They've been able to actually isolate and take a picture of it. And there's an explosion basically when light begins. It's an explosion of chemicals and, and, and light, and it's all these different things, and they, they, they find it all there, and they show all these different eggs, and then one, when the spring, and all, and it's like, now they can even see where there's this moment when life begins. And, and then to say that we can, you know, kill babies by the millions and call, and call ourselves a moral nation, it's unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm going to go one step further. It's unbelievable that you could vote for a candidate that is for abortion. Boggles my mind. It is murder, plain and simple. But yet, I mean, they'll do all these. We had, a, we had a, another one of these ladies. I don't know. Maybe she worked for the Turtle Patrol also. But she, she got a job chasing German shepherds. And she drove one of them trucks around and was doing pet control or whatever, you know, they did. He had their little truck and all that. And, and uh, we had our dog. We have an underground fence with a, with a collar, you know, and, and, and all of that. And we were trying to work with this dog. And the dog was actually in the garage. And this, this lady came to the door. My wife was at the house. I was, I was gone. And she said, uh, your dog has been reported as being out and around the neighborhood. And my wife said, oh, did the dog get out? And she said, no, I didn't. Where, well, where's the dog right now? So she went and the dog was in the garage. And the, the, the uh, garage door was open, but the dog wasn't out of the garage. She said, well, he may be in the garage right now, but he could leave at any moment. <laughs> and uh, my wife said, no, he won't leave because there's an underground fence and he's got the collar and if he gets close to it, then, you know, it reminds him that he needs to stay back away from that area. She said, that does not qualify as a restraint device. And she said, well, you know, what, what, do, you want, what do you want us to do with the dog? And she said, well, it's too late. I'm writing you a ticket. So my wife calls me on the phone. And she says, honey, there's this lady here at the door. And she's writing me a ticket for the dog. I said, well, where's the dog? And then I went through all that thing. I said, put her on the phone. So I, she put her on the phone. I said, I want you to leave my property right now. Go back and get in your truck. And don't ever come back to my house again. She said, <laughs> she, she said sir, are you aware of statute such and such and such and such? I said, are you aware of the U.S. Constitution? She said, I've got more power than you realize. I mean, we had a shouting match right on the phone. 
And uh, she said, I'm writing a ticket, and if your wife doesn't sign it, I'm going to arrest her right now. I said, if you arrest her, I'll have you thrown in jail. Who's your boss? I got on the phone with her boss. I mean, we had a whole big, you know, shout match. She finally went and got in her truck and left, and that's been years ago. I've never seen her since. I don't know how I got off on this. I lost my whole sermon chasing this thing down. <laughs> I'm just thinking, where that whole crowd, if they had been around Jesus. The turtle chasers, the dog chasers, the... The manatee lovers, all, and I, my goodness, yes, we need to be kind to animals. I mean, that, that all goes without saying. But some people, they make a religion out of it. And they probably, oh, I can't believe Jesus would did this. This is the only recorded occasion on which Jesus took the initiative in restoring sight. Now, I believe that it was for a specific purpose. The fact that this symbolic act was more than just symbolism, but it was very significant. Just as Jesus, now here's the key, just as Jesus voluntarily mixed his own spittle with the earth and then anointed the eyes of the blind, so he voluntarily came from heaven and entered an earthly body. In order that through the mixing, now watch this, the mixing of himself with human clay, he could impart life to the dead eyes of mankind. It was not by accident. He was not just being crude. What he was saying was through the life and the clay and the mixture of that, blindness is disappeared. And ladies and gentlemen, it's the only thing that cures spiritual blindness today is when you realize that God manifests himself in flesh. And the life of Almighty God was robed in flesh. And when that is applied to our eyes, spiritually speaking, we receive sight. Things make sense. We read in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now ladies and gentlemen, that was the divine operation which Jesus performed. It was the mixture of the clay and the spittle in order that we might be delivered from the blinding power of Satan. But it wasn't just the divine operation. There was also the human application, which was just as important. Because when the man was talking about this and describing his miracle, he said, I went and washed and I received sight. Now that's what the man said. Having anointed him with the clay, the Lord Jesus then told him to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash. Now, once again, this act was symbolic because don't you know, Jesus could have just spoken the word and his sight would have come back. But he not only mixed the, the, the saliva with the clay, but now he tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, John is very careful to tell us that this pool of Siloam literally means sent. That's what it means, S-E-N-T, sent. 
And it was a specially provided pool of water for ceremonial drinking and cleansing, this pool of Siloam. Jesus had already likened himself to these very waters when he cried out the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7, 37, when he said this, and I quote, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So he referred to those refreshing waters as what takes place within us. There's other places in the Bible where it talks about out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Therefore, Isaiah said in chapter 12, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. So the blind man went, he washed, and he received his sight. Now, he not only received his divine operation and then affected the human application, but then he received his miracle. Now, this is similar to what happens to you and I when we receive light in our spiritual darkness. There is a combination of the miracle of God's grace and the miracle of God's love and the miracle of his mercy. You have to accept that salvation will always be a divine operation. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I cannot save ourselves. It just won't happen. You've got to believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he finally and completely handled the problem of spiritual blindness. And that's where it starts. You've got to believe. That when Jesus Christ went to Calvary and his blood was shed, that there was a supernatural act that took place. Now, if you believe that, then it moves us to the second stage, which is the divine operation of simple faith. Because you must affect the human application. That's where you and I, has, we have to do our part. Just like this blind man had to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Even though Jesus had already done the miraculous, he said, now you go and wash. The Bible says we are not saved by grace alone or by faith alone. But it says we are saved by grace through faith. It's a combination of the divine operation and the spiritual application, which is within our own grasp. Jesus makes all of this available through the fact that he rose from the dead. So that, ladies and gentlemen, we can hear about Calvary, we can hear biblical lessons and sermons preached, but until you and I bow a knee in humility and say, God, I believe that you died for my sins, and I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me of every sin, and you lift your hands and you say, God, forgive me and cleanse me, and you believe that he has cleansed you, you know what you got to do then? You got to go to the pool of Siloam and you got to wash. <laughs> you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, baptism is not just ceremonial. Baptism is not some outward confession of an inward faith. Baptism is obedience to the word of God. Because when we baptize you in Jesus' name, it's not that water that does it. It's the power of the name of Jesus that your sins are remitted. But it takes a combination of the power of his name and the obedience of our heart. And when it comes together, God honors it. And a miracle takes place, which is why Floyd is still right here without his wheelchair. Stand up, Floyd. Two weeks ago, he was baptized in the name of Jesus. He was on an oxygen tank, and he was in a wheelchair. And when he came down out of the stairs, we had the wheelchair there for him. And he said, I don't need that anymore. And two weeks later, he's standing on his own. You know why? It's the combination of the power of God 
obedience of man. Stand to your feet all over the building. I apologize. I lost all my time. I'll finish it. I'll, I'll give you the second half tonight. One of the miracles of the 20th century world of medicine is the surgery of cornea grafting. It's an amazing thing where they can actually give sight to thousands of people every year. This is something that's been done for some time now. When it first started taking place, there was a report on January 27, 1951, out of the Daily Graphic newspaper. It reported the thrilling story of a man who had received his sight. His name was Hendrick Botha, a 30-year-old former clerk who had been blind for 10 years. And at the expense of a little church in South Africa, they raised the money and they sent him to the prestigious Manhattan Eye Hospital in Manhattan, New York. And the day that he arrived in New York, a man died in Michigan, tragically in a car accident. And at 2, 2 a.m. the next morning, the surgeon removed the cornea of the blind man's eye. They grafted in the replacement eye of the man who had died in Michigan the night before and put it in his right eye, taking a dead eye out and putting in an eye that could function properly. They were able to graft that in and connect all that needs to be connected. And it was a success. Later that year, a similar operation restored the sight of his left eye. With joy and thanksgiving that knew no bounds, the South African started back home, now able to see through both of his eyes. He started back home to look upon a devoted wife and two small daughters, two small daughters that he had never seen with his natural eye. And the startling headlines to this remarkable story carried these words, he will see family through the eyes of a dead man. He will see family through the eyes of a dead man. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the gospel of spiritual sight. Jesus is not only the divine surgeon, but he's also the one who has given his life that others might see. He has completed the operation. But you and I can only realize that by taking a step toward Christ and saying, Lord, I'm ready to receive my sight. Paul even described, talking about the Gentiles in the book of Romans, say we were in a wild olive branch that were grafted in to that vine, that family that spiritual vision, that revelation that Jesus Christ is our Messiah. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you may have been going through this week, this month, this year. I've come to tell you about a God who wants to give you sight today. Where things can start to make sense. You say, man, I've been going through so much stuff, Pastor. I, I, I can't understand. It's caused me to even question my own faith. But you know what? I believe God's going to give me clarity of judgment and understanding right now. It'll happen, and you'll be able to see through the eyes of a dead man.
that mixture of spittle and clay, God robing himself in clay. That created this divine operation that gives you and I an opportunity to come before the Lord. Most of the time, I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, but I don't feel like that's the right thing to say today. I want to say this to you today. With your eyes open wide and your head up, would you step out from where you're standing right now and would you come down to this altar and would you say, Lord, I want to receive spiritual vision today like I never have before. I want to put, maybe there's some things that you've been struggling with in your home or maybe on the job or maybe it's just in life. I want you to come down to this altar right now as the saints of God are coming. And I want you to lift up your hands right now and you want to say, Lord, I need one of those spiritual operations, Lord. I need to be able to see things the way that you see things. I want to see my family through the eyes of Christ. There's been things that you've been facing and fighting that you're struggling with. It doesn't seem like you can get anywhere. But I feel God calling us right now and saying, turn it over to me. You do your best and let God do the rest. Why don't you bring it to an altar right now? You've never asked God to come into your heart. You've never asked the Lord to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Come on, this altar is open for you today. Here I come, Lord. Here I come, Lord. I've been groping through this darkness long enough. I feel the Lord telling me it's time to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Be cleansed, be clean, be made whole. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. I lift my hands to worship you, Lord. You are my strength and my song. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.